Hi, my name is Aisha McGowan, and this is Quick Brown Foxes, a podcast that seeks to answer the question of how to get more women and non-binary folks of color into cycling by asking women and non-binary folks of color how they got into cycling. Today, we'll be speaking with Rachel Olzer, a diversity activist, organizer, writer, speaker, founder of Pedal to the People, and current executive director of All Bikes Welcome. I'm Rachel Olzer. I use she and they pronouns, and I reside in Bentonville, Arkansas. I am the executive director of a nonprofit called All Bikes Welcome, and we work at the intersections of race, gender, and class in cycling and the outdoors, um, providing free and low-cost programming to marginalized populations in the area and connecting more folks to resources that could help them get into the outdoors. And we are also the host of an annual mountain bike festival called Grit MTV Festival. And the festival is catered to um, trans men and women, cis women and non-binary folks from all experience levels and backgrounds. Uh, But we really try to focus on those people who have never been on a mountain bike but are mountain bike curious uh, but we also have a variety of of folks um, from from the never been on a mountain bike to the very experienced rider and the weekend is a celebration of diversity in cycling uh, we have clinics and workshops and a keynote speaker and a dance party and group rides and it's just a really cool um, space that we're carving out in the area for more marginalized folks to be together. Sweet. How did you get into bikes? <laughs> um, I got, I guess I, well, I was into them through, like, I grew up skateboarding in high school. I was really into longboarding. And then this area that I used to longboard in high school had some trails nearby and I was like oh I kind of want to try that um so I took like a very very crappy mountain bike (laughs) up to those and it was definitely not the kind of place you want to have a bike that barely is meant to go off-road so that kind of scared me and spooked me for a while and then uh, I would say like mid-college I got the bug again through um some I was really into rock climbing and this area that I would climb at was increasingly experiencing greater access issues and so pretty much the only way to get to it was to bike in or you had to do a really long hike so that kind of planted the seed again and then I was like oh I want to want to do this more of this and I think at the time I started to feel like climbing was a bit heady for me and also I was feeling really like isolated and like it was really exclusive and I just wasn't enjoying that aspect of it and the cycling community I was a part of at the time was a lot more representative of the people I think I wanted to be around so I kind of started diving deeper into that and yeah by the time I was really deep into that community 
I was like, okay, you know, I really want to do more work around equity and access issues for this sport in particular. Um, And that was right about the time when I would say you were kind of coming on the scene and, and, or at least like I should say, like became um, kind of a part of my, uh, like the media I was consuming and Melanin Basecamp kind of came out around then. And so I think there was like this emergence of a greater conversation that I was eager to kind of learn from and be a part of. All right. I'm going to rewind you. How did you learn how to ride a bike? (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. Um, I learned how to ride a bike in my backyard and growing up. Uh, So I'm from Las Vegas and I was like four maybe and it was my grandfather teaching me in the backyard and it was like like I think pretty typical story of just like oh you know you have the training wheels which is you know what we used to use back then to learn how to ride a bike and then I was terrified and then the wheels came off and I just like I think I rode for like two pedal strokes and then fell over because <laughs> I realized nobody was behind me and I was terrified. <laughs> Sounds about right. Do you remember yeah. your first bike? Yeah, I think it was like, it was like pink and white, I want to say, and it had like the streamers off the side yeah, and the little, right. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I loved it. I mean, it was like a great little bike. I used that bike for, I mean, well beyond being too big to ride it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you learned how to ride a bike. You had your whole journey and you were climbing. You needed to get to the climbing trails. So you started riding to the climbing trails. So I'm going to assume, despite never <laughs> being told never to assume things, but I'm going to assume that's how you ended up in the off road side of things because you were going to places that were off-road is that correct yeah Yeah. and this was in Arizona because that's where I went to college uh and it was like not trail riding not like we think of it now this was like um cars could barely get by on this trail yeah so it really was not meant for any kind of mountain biking okay yeah um so how did you transition from I'm using this as access to another activity that I enjoy to, oh, maybe I'll race this thing now. Like, how do we, how do we get there? Yeah, that's a great question. I think I'm just an inherently very competitive person. And so I'm also, I have clinical OCD, so my brain gets like locked in on things like in an obsessive way. So once I had the bike, it was like, okay, let's do something with this bike. And what kind I'm of also bike the was type, it? it was a Gary Fisher hybrid bike that I put 29er tires on. Uh, and so it was not a mountain bike. Um, it was a hybrid bike for commuting. I found the frame, this local co-op. And I was like, I'm going to use this to mountain bike on. And I did that. And I think I even wore, like, not a proper helmet for a long time, which I do not what recommend. What does that mean? <laughs> I was wearing, like, a climbing helmet for a while. 
um, okay. which which is not like terrible, but a bike helmet it's, is meant to take impact in a certain something. place. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, when you're like a young person, you just think you're invincible. You're like, I'll never die. Like that's nothing will ever have battle ever happen yeah. to me. Yeah. Been there. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Learned some hard lessons. Hit my head. Yes. Started mm-hmm. wearing a helmet. It's pretty much how that went. <laughs> yep. Um, luckily I, I got a helmet before anything bad, oh, that's re- good. really bad happened. Um, but yeah, I think like it was pretty, it was almost immediate. I was like, and I had been commuting on a bike for a little bit. And then I was like, I just want to be like really strong. I think that's always just been a goal of mine. Like I want to be really good at anything I do. Like, I don't care what it is. I just want to, like, try to be the best at anything I do. I don't know that that's, like, how it ever works out. But, um, so, yeah, I was, like, I started signing up for, I think initially it was, like, oh, I started signing up for some fondos. And then it was, like, okay, yeah, like, I really want to do this. Like, I want to see how I can be around other people. So, yeah. (laughs) Okay, so when you say you signed up for fondos, you mean like road fondos? Yeah, I would okay. do, yeah, I would do like little tours. Um, and that was like, yeah, because I like, I got the mountain bike and then I think I, and my knowledge is a little shaky on what the timeline is here because I remember I like got a road bike, like a, like what was nice to me, road bike. And that was around the same time that I got Tell the me more. Bike. About it was the road like, bike. yeah, I got this road bike and it was like, I want to say from like performance bike. And let me tell you, this road bike did not fit me. I'm five, one and a half, five, Uh-oh. two on a good day. This bike was, I want to say 52 centimeters. <laughs> it was a 52 centimeter road bike. The people at the shop were like, yeah, it looks great on you. It did not fit me. And I rode that for like a year and finally was like, I think this bike is too big for me. Like, it's so painful to ride. Oh, no. Like, my soft tissue hurt. Like, my knees hurt. It just, looking back, I'm like, yeah, that bike did not. 52 centimeters. small. That's that's small. (laughs) Right. Small enough. Exactly. Exactly. And that was my first taste of learning that bikes for little people is a different breed. Uh-huh. Um, what size do you actually ride? I ride like a 42 or a 44. Stop it. That's yeah. so small. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it is. <laughs> I realize now that it's very small. How do you find uh, and I bikes? actually, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I actually ride a much smaller road bike than a mountain bike. Like mm-hmm. I need an extra small road bike. I need like a small, I can sometimes ride a medium mountain bike. And so, actually, I remember now, I stopped wanting to ride the road bike because it was so painful. So, I was like, oh, maybe I just, and what people were telling me at the time is, oh, you're just not strong enough to ride it. You're just not used to an aggressive riding position, like all this stuff. So, I was like, well, I only wanted to ride the mountain bike because it was more upright. And it was a hybrid. So, it was like really upright. Right. And so I think that was also a big thing for me, like a turning point where I was like, I don't even want to ride this road bike because I was doing 100 miles on this bike that didn't fit. Because you were doing fondos. 
Yeah, and I would be in so much pain (laughs) trying to ride this bike. So that was also a big thing where I was like, well, I'd rather ride this mountain bike and I don't want to ride this road bike anymore. Okay, well, I'm very sorry that you had that experience, but I am curious, how did you, like, why Fondos? Did someone invite you? Did you, like, see a sign? How on earth did you get into the Fondo world? It was both. Actually, um, gosh, yeah, I was so, my group of friends in college was just really wild, but not in the sense you would expect, having gone to Arizona State they were just really into doing big, hard things. And every Wednesday, we used to do this thing where we would ride to this mountain, hike up and down the mountain, and then ride back. And that was like training, basically, I realize now, because that was like a 30-mile ride plus like a, a very difficult hike. <laughs> it's this really well-known hike in Arizona um, called the Camelback. And... <clears throat> So that kind of started it. And then um, the first Fondo I did was this ride for diabetes. And I'm a type 1 diabetic. So I was like, oh, this sounds really cool. It's like a fundraiser. We did it. My group of friends did it as a team. And so that was like what drew me in. And then I was like, oh this could be really fun before I realized that long road rides are not my thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I, that's all I knew was that you could do that. Um, so that's what I tried to do for a long time. And I will say there's like, I realize now that we both know there's a lot of different ways to ride bikes, Mm -hmm. but I didn't know at the time. And so I just didn't think I liked riding bikes for a long time. I just kept showing up because that's what my friends were doing. Um, But really it was that that wasn't my style and that the riding was, you know, the bike didn't fit. (laughs) That's such a shame. We could have had another roadie. Missed opportunity. (laughs) Okay. So you're doing these fondos. You were hiking up this mountain weekly. (laughs) Doing the absolute most, training, getting stronger, despite people telling you you weren't strong enough to ride this bike when really it just simply did not fit. <laughs> and so you gravitated towards off-road mountain biking. What did that look like? Like, mm-hmm. were there events? Was it just you going out by yourself? Did you have, like, a consistent friend group? ride that you did for that or what was what was the mountain bike aspect of things because that really took off yeah um that's a great question I'm even trying to remember what it was like I remember I remember I would go down to Tucson and I had a friend that rode down there and she actually her and I ended up being like riding um like teammates later But I would go down there and I was like super stoked on riding with her. And we would do these night rides because it was, you know, it was a desert. So there's a very short window that is actually good to ride at any point in the year. Um, And so I got really into doing these night rides, which like, you know, on a mountain bike is it's a whole thing trying to ride at night. And that kind of evolved me into doing like in Arizona they'll do just 
races that are at night. <laughs> and then that evolved into... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then that evolved into, well, I guess I could ride during the day and, but that became like, I'm going to ride for 24 hours at a time. So, and I don't really, that was all really fast. Like that happened very quickly after like, I kind of picked up steam on the mountain bike. And I remember, um, an ex-boyfriend now at uh, at the time, got me a frame, like my first really nice bike frame. And that was after I had graduated. Like that was like a gift he got me for graduation. And we built that up together. And that's when I was like racing. Like that was like I was going in on it. So it kind of was like. more about this bike. <laughs> yeah, it was a BMC. It was, I think it was Carbon. I'm pretty sure it was carbon. It was white and tiny. I mean, it was like, it was a clearance bike. Yeah, it was my size. It was a clearance bike they were trying to get rid of because who was going to buy this tiny little mountain bike? And it was a 29er. And at the time, 29ers were not optimized the way they are now. And so everybody would actually kind of give me a lot of crap for riding this 29er because they were like, it's ridiculous. You're way too small to be riding a 29er. <laughs> it had insane amounts of like toe overlap with the front wheel. Like that was the thing you had to worry about at the time. Um, the bottom bracket was. Overlap? Yeah. Like the pedal at certain positions with your foot on it would hit like the front tire. Super safe. <laughs> Super <Yeah>. safe. <laughs> <laughs> and um the bottom bracket was too low so it would it was like oh, constantly hitting rock okay yeah oh yeah i mean t- we've come a long way in <laughs> being able to make mountain bikes for small people because that was actually like for a lot like when i started mountain biking that was a huge issue just generally regardless of the size tire but particularly you know at the time 29ers were taking off but like that was the issue was how are you going to find a mountain bike as a small person, like as a short person. And so, yeah, it was, that's why I rode a Gary Fisher hybrid for a long time. And then, um, what, but once you ride a 29er, you can't go back. That's the problem. It's Uh-oh. like, <laughs> cause it's so much, it's just so much better. The handling, the, you don't have to be as precise and so if you're, especially if you're a newer rider, that's very appealing. You know, you don't have to choose your lines as, as precisely and all that. So yeah, I, once I had that bike, it was like, it was go time. I was signing up for races as much as I could. Were you traveling to races or were you mostly staying in Arizona? At first I was mostly in Arizona. I think I did, there were, it was like the Southwest conference so there which is pretty small it was like arizona uh nevada utah and new mexico and i did a lot of writing in those states early on um and then but shortly after that it was when i transitioned to minnesota so it was like then i was writing only midwest which was like minnesota wisconsin illinois and iowa a little bit of michigan but not much what kept you attracted to 
being competitive. Like, like you, you tried it and you were like, yeah, I'm going to travel around to multiple states and do this. <laughs> like, what about it made you want to do that? Yeah, that's a great question. I think at the time, so my, my, I think my why or my reasoning has changed a lot over the last 10 years. I think at the time I was, I didn't, my peak was nowhere in sight. So it was like, I just kept getting better. I really hadn't, there was no like, I mean, even if I did bad at a race, I was still, I could still see like so much progress being made physically. So early on, it was very much that physical challenge. And I think the aspect of um, <laughs> yeah, the aspect of like just if you're thinking of like climbing a mountain, like I was just going up, like I could just tell I was getting stronger um and more efficient, and then I think I'd say like my mid twenties it was more like. I wasn't just getting like astronomically better. It was like my bad days would get better where it was like, oh, an off day still resulted in a better time or, you know, an off day might still result in a podium or something like that. Now I feel like I'm still trying to figure out what, what my why is at this point. I think some of it is that I haven't like done the things that I set out to do early on. Um, What what were those things? I want to, I would love to win or be on the podium as a solo racer at 24 hours in the old Pueblo. That's like top priority for me in terms of like things I want to do. I've podiumed as a duo, a female duo a couple times. I've done well, um, but you know, I want to do it as a solo. Um, I would love to go to nationals as 30 to 35. Um... There's like other t- like kind of 24 hour races I'd love to do well at uh, Wausau 24. Yeah, I think those are like the 24 hour racing I like gravitated towards like really easily because I'm a night owl so and I like wild staying up. To me. That's such a long time. <laughs> it like it is and it isn't. I mean, I think like being on a road bike for like 12 hours is a long time. I agree. <laughs> That is also a long time. <laughs> I know, but the fact that you like have maintained your ability to sprint like is astounding to me. I cannot sprint anymore. I used to like be such an incredible sprinter and I don't know how you maintain that. Like in enough to be able to do a crit or to do something like short is hard now. Yeah, we'll we'll see we'll see about that shortly. <laughs> We'll see. We'll see how true that is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fair enough. I mean, twenty-four hours is a long time, but it's not. I don't know. There's something about it that's so exciting, and I also think that there's <clears throat> there's such a chance to redeem yourself every lap. Like if the last lap was crap, then the next one can be better, you know? Okay. So for (laughs) folks who don't know about 24 hour racing, explain how it works because you're not going for 24 hours straight, right? Correct. I mean, you can, I mean, there, so typically how it works is that there's a course. Um, so, you know, similar to crit racing, there's going to be a course and you have to ri- you ride laps of that course. So you're not just going one <clears throat> distance to the next. 
and your the number of laps you accumulate is what determines your ranking. And there are teams, so there'll be teams of four, sometimes up to six. <clears throat> there'll be uh, like duos, two-person teams, and then there's solos. And there can be a mix depending on the race of how that's gendered. Sometimes it's like, sometimes there's a requirement that if you have a four-person team, at least one person has to be non-male, <clears throat> sometimes not. And those like four-person teams, they'll do, if it's 24 hours, they'll do 24 laps. And like, so like at 24 hop, the laps are usually about 16 to 18 miles per lap. So that's, I mean, you can do the math there. 24 laps is a lot. And also 18 miles an hour on a mountain bike is an incredible time. The best I've ever gotten to is like an hour 20. <clears throat> and so you try and do as many laps as you can. If you're doing a duo, which I maintain, I think is one of the hardest ways to race 24 hours, you're pacing off of somebody else. So I've done it both ways where you go lap for lap. You ride a lap, your partner rides a lap. I've also done you ride two laps, your partner rides two laps. There's merit to both. Kind of depends on the partner. <clears throat> but if you're going solo, the idea is to ride as much of the whole time as you can. Obviously, you need to stop and refuel. And so you do need quite a bit of support, typically, to do a solo. So, yeah, it's fun. It's like a really good energy. It sounds like something <laughs> that someone else that is not me would thoroughly enjoy. I think we should get you to one of these. Just do think, one. You, we could do it together. Can I, like, support or spectate? See, I, I get bored with things really easily. <laughs> <laughs> ADD is like there. as soon as it kicks in and I'm like all right we can do something else now <laughs> and you know what's so funny your boredom is different than mine because to me riding like a road race is so boring <laughs> like road racing is it depends not fun on to the me. race it depends on the race I think Fair. there's potential for them to be boring but that's kind of like when you're saying like riding for 12 hours like that 12 hours on a road bike it's not exciting. I like, you know, a good time, not a long time. So, like, when people like to write <laughs> centuries, that's not my jam. I like a metric century. Like, that's, like, the yeah. perfect distance for me. It's long, but long enough and not, like, super long. Like, you can do it in, like, four hours comfortably without making your eyes bleed. That's great. Like, let's just do that. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> I would do that. But I do think one thing I'd like to point out with the 24-hour racing is that no lap is the same. So even though it seems like it, it's like you're doing the same lap, you're also, you start at noon, right? So you only have, <clears throat> I don't know, four hours of daylight after that, solid daylight before the sun is starting to set. So, you know, let's say you do an hour and a half a lap. Your first three laps might be somewhat similar, but even the first lap, it's a Le Mans start, so it's different. A Le so Mans maybe, start? Okay. <laughs> yeah, so a Le Mans start is uh, you set your bike up in an area and then you have to run to it. And it's a mass Oh, it's run. like an alley cat. Yeah. Um, and the run, like at 24 hop, the run is long. 
the run is typically not that long at any other race, but the run is like long, like like half a mile, or like yeah, it's at least half a mile. I That's ridiculous. Think. Why? 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 It's a it's a really big race, and they need to spread people out because it's also the desert, so you can't <clears throat> passing is really hard. Oh jeez. Um, like there's cacti everywhere. Um, so you are not they... selling this to me. <laughs> You mean I have to run half a mile before I even get to the bike? I know. Last year was the first time I ever did the run. I never had to do the run. I always had the second lap. But last year I did. A, I attempted a solo for the first time. And okay. so I had to do the run. And I will say the run was not fun. Okay. Um, All right. Yeah. And you're running in bike shoes, which is not fun. Um, so, yeah, I will say the run sucked. Um, and so you're... so. That's all to say that every lap is so different because the night laps are so different. And there's nothing like those sunset and sunrise laps. Like that first light of the day is incredible. It's so beautiful. And being able to ride at that time, like when else are you going to ride at that time? You know, I don't know. I think it's so it's just so fun. And then there, the energy after the sun comes up, because you, you know, you only have like probably six hours and usually <clears throat> for a 24-hour race, in order to qualify, like to say you did the whole race or to qualify for podium, your last lap has to end after that 12 p.m. mark. So you got to be out. You got to be up and you got to be out riding. So I don't know. I just think there's something about it that keeps bringing me back. And of course, you know, you get the, the badassery points. Oh, uh, for sure. <laughs> you get all of those points. All of them. i can have them (laughs) all right so you get all your badass points for doing 24-hour bike races i commend you i I really don't (laughs) think it could be me but i think it's really cool and i think i would want to see it as a spectator fair enough Um, yeah but you also do a bunch of other really cool stuff in the advocacy space so you're no longer in Minnesota. You have moved it along. And now, what are you up to? <laughs> I run a nonprofit. I in uh, based in Northwest Arkansas. I live in Bentonville. A lot of our programming is kind of across the Northwest Arkansas corridor, which comprises um, five different towns um, and munis- municipalities. Um, and yeah, it's really, it's been really cool. I, the nonprofit was kind of, it, it was officially became a nonprofit before I came into the role as executive director, but had not, nothing had really happened with it. Like there was no established programming or anything. And so I was hired on to launch this nonprofit and kind of bring it into this new realm of advocacy. I'd say that we're in where we're thinking beyond just kind of race and gender and class as separate things, but as these kind of intersecting and, um, you know, levels of, of oppression within this space. And it's super cool. I mean, it's been a huge labor of love. If any, you know, I mean, you know, from being an entrepreneur, like starting something from scratch is one of the hardest things I think you can do. Um, and starting a nonprofit. You're crushing it. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. Thank, I appreciate that. It, you know, some days I feel like it's 
I'm like, yeah, I know what I'm doing. I got this. Like nobody else could even come close. And then, you know, other days you're like, what was I thinking? Like one day I just woke up and thought I can do this. Like, (laughs) why would I think that? Um, But yeah, I mean, I think what's been really cool is to see this evolution of an idea. And, you know, when I think, you know, I, I think about you a lot in terms of like, if you feel this way, like, I think when you're somebody that's like on, for lack of a better term, the cutting edge of change, let's say, you have these ideas and people kind of look at you sideways, like, okay, cool, like, good luck with that. And then when you are able to see those ideas coming to life, you're like, I knew, like, I had this intuition that this would work and it's working. And like, you've proven to yourself that you can do that. Um, and I think that was very much Gritfest, um, cause when I came in, Gritfest had started as this women's mountain bike festival and I came into it and I was like, okay, well, that's cool. But I want to take this into like, make this a space that is really what I felt was really needed and get really specific about who was invited and why that was important to us. And that's when I, you know, was like, this isn't going to be a women's mountain bike festival anymore. This is going to be a festival for trans men and women, cis women and non-binary folks. And I wanted to specify trans men because of conversations I had been having at the time with trans mask folks who felt like they didn't know if trans included them or not. And so, you know, I, I understood how it sounded to be like, I'm going to just like try to create the most inclusive mountain bike event I can. And I'm going to do it in Arkansas. (laughs) And I know that that, yeah. (laughs) And I know how absolutely ridiculous that sounds. Like I knew how it sounded at the time. But you did it. But then we did it. I know. (laughs) And I think that's like 50% me and 50% just people trusting when I said I'm going to create this thing, that the community showed up for it. And I think that's a really big part of it is... I can only do so much. I can provide the scaffolding. But if people don't show up, it's it doesn't exist, you know? And so it's been really cool because the first year, so in 2022 is my first year running it, and I had no idea what I was doing. What I will say I've learned, I'm really good at building a team and bringing people together who do know what they're doing. So I built this team. We We ran the festival, and I would say, like, the first year it was, like, majority people I knew or had some connection to. And then last year, we about doubled in size. And it was mostly people I didn't know. And that was like, such a win. (laughs) Yeah, it was such a win to be like, okay, like, this has become its own thing, which is always the goal for me, because eventually I want to hand this over to somebody who can do more with it than than I could do. Um, And so yeah, I think it's been it's it's been a it's been humbling at times it's been you know really challenging i think you know for those that don't know arkansas is a very challenging place to work politically it's also one of the few states that doesn't have any kind of support for nonprofits statewide like at the state level and um i'm also i i've learned like an incredible amount at what it takes to do this kind of work 
Well, congratulations on pulling it off. That is not a small thing to do <laughs> at all. And <laughs> I have not been to Gritfest, but from from the sidelines, it looks like a real good time. So I think whatever you're doing, do more of it because you're doing Thank a great you. job. We may have to get you there. Eventually. <laughs> I, I I dabble in the in the off-road of things, but... I know. I love when I see you on a mountain bike. It brings me a lot of joy. <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's like the first time every time. <laughs> Somehow. I know. You're always like, I'm so terrified. And I'm like, but you look great. <laughs> <laughs> That's like half of it. So awesome. Thank you. Exactly. exactly. Um, cool. Uh, so I think... Not necessarily super bike related, but there's another big part of what you have done in your lifetime that you have failed to mention, and it comes with a pretty awesome title. Do you want to? <laughs> I feel like you dedicated enough of your of your life to it <laughs> that you should probably bring it up. Yeah, I I did do a PhD. That was a part of my life. Yeah, like six years of my life. Uh, yeah, I have a PhD. I from the University of Minnesota in ecology and evolutionary biology. And I, yeah, I'm so grateful that I did that. And if I could go back, I probably would not do it again. (laughs) Noted. Hardest thing I've ever done, for sure. Oh, I believe you. (laughs) Uh, 100%. Yeah. Okay, so I think we've covered most things. Um, and I like to end by asking one last question. If you could tell someone like yourself, like someone who is getting into the sport or exploring the sport as a new person to it, um, anything, what would you like, like if it was yourself, like what would you, what do you wish you had known or what would you tell that person? And is this like, if I met this person today, or if I could go back and tell them? I think either works. Hmm, that's a great question. Oof, wow, yeah, okay. If I could say today, I would tell them that longevity is not a measure of success. Like, if you try something and you decide you don't like it, that is still a success. Um, If you try something and you are not very good at that, that's still success. I think if I could go back and tell myself something. Gosh, there's so much I want to tell her. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I... Gosh. I think I would tell her maybe something along the lines of like the people hmm gosh I would say the people around you 
I would probably just let her know that, like, the people that she surrounds herself are going to drastically change in the next decade for the better. Okay. And that it's okay. It's like, it's okay to decide that somebody, that, like, certain people aren't your people. And that that doesn't make, that doesn't make anybody involved bad. But that there are, like, really good people headed your way. Because the people in my life now are just like, I could have never imagined that it could be this good. Um, because, you know, I mean, I, w- I just did not see myself reflected at all in the communities that I was around growing up or, you know, throughout most of my early adult life. So, yeah. Look at that. I think that's, that's more life <laughs> advice than anything, not even just <laughs> yeah, to the, exactly. the bike community advice. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's true. It's I forgot good, it was though. bike specific. It doesn't <laughs> yeah. have to be. I never said that. So, yeah. No, that's great. Well, thank you so much for your, your time and your story. Yeah. And if the people want to find you, how can they how can they do that? Um, I'm like sometimes on Instagram. I don't like to post on there because, you know, it's anxiety inducing. But you can find me <laughs> at my first and last name on Instagram, um, follow at grit MTV festival and at all bikes. Welcome on Instagram. And my email is my first and last name at Gmail. If you want to want to chat business or learn how to support the organization, we can always use more support. All right. <clears throat> yeah. So much. Thanks. All right. Bye. 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 For more on Rachel, you can find her on Instagram at rachel.olzer, R-A-C-H-E-L dot O-L-Z-E-R. Also follow All Bikes Welcome at All Bikes Welcome, A-L-L-B-I-K-E-S-W-E-L-C-O-M-E. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at I suppose, A-Y-E-S-U-P-P-O-S-E, or on the internet at aquickbrownfox.com. Thank you to my sponsors, Live Cycling, SRAM, Zwift, and Carmichael Training Systems for all of your support. And to all of my patrons, thanks so much for sticking it out with me over the years. If you would like to become one of them, you can do so at patreon.com slash aquickbrownfox and join the likes of Nancy Rosenblum, Eric Gonzalez, Shelly Witt, Meg Descombs, Puma43, Tonsa Price Edwards, Paige Chase, Meredith Nielsen, Patch Highland, Michael Burns, Christiana E., Patrick Smith, Lauren Zimmer, Andrew Lal, David, Stay Kind, Nicholas Fortin, Spindrift Podcast, Brad Evans, Barbara Burlington, Tariq Saleh, Jesse Orman, Jonathan Biddle, Rachel Olzer, Sandra Walter, Amy Kay, Marnie Anise, Margaret Smitty, Frank Spinillo, LC, Lucia D, Lewis Hodge, Rosie Jacobson, Kat C, Christina Torres, Leanne Evanson, Michelle Smith, Jess Strangword, Karen Brooks, and Amy Ongiri. Thanks! Bye!